podcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 746 of I Doubt It. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore. Joined today, lovely, talented, and scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Well, you are back from your David Pakman substitute teaching. <laughs> yeah. How was it? Uh, Goddamn. Very tiring. That guy... I'm not. I, I'm. I'm unconvinced that he's. Uh, I'm getting ready to botch it with all kinds of double negatives, but I'm not so sure he's not a, a robot. <laughs> I, I. I know, and I've, I've read in some comments, and especially on Instagram, whenever you would tag me in something, that uh, a lot of people are like, Ugh, "Another vacation," like you know, kind of bitching mm-hmm. about. I guess how many vacations he takes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me say that guy. He's deserved every every little bit of time off he can get because if that's what he does on a regular basis constantly, mm-hmm. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. And I know enough about his setup that I know he doesn't have, you know, like 80 employees. Yes. And I just don't know how he, he I mean, I did it for four days and needed like a medically induced coma <laughs> to just get myself back on track. Well, it is definitely a lot of work, and I think that you did an awesome job. It was fantastic. Thank you. And luckily, you had your editor here with you for the week. I think that was really, really helpful. And uh, it was fun doing the bonus episodes with you because David Pakman does bonus episodes for his, I guess, paid subscribers. Some kind of membership base that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Membership situation. (laughs) And uh, and we did those every day, and those were very fun. Wish we could have shared them with the audience, but uh, we actually did get a few comments, though, from Patreon supporters of ours who happened to be members of David oh, Pakman, yeah, yeah. who did get to see the bonus shows, and they really enjoyed it, so that was nice to see. But yeah, it was pretty eventful, and uh, it was exciting. A little cross-pollination. Mm-hmm. It, it was a good time, though. I mean, all the hard work aside... Um, it is, it's nice to be in front of a new audience. What's interesting is some of the, some of the, I don't want to say hate because, you know, there were some negative comments, but it's interesting when an audience gets used to a certain kind of style and a certain delivery, and then you throw my dumb ass in the mix. Right. (laughs) It's, it's a monkey wrench to say the least. Well, I think that's the case with anything. Yeah. I think that people get territorial over what they like and what they don't like. And when something new comes in the mix, they're like, what the hell is this? And I don't know if I like this. Yeah. And I'm going to make it very known. Change is scary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily you are immune from feeling bad about negative comments. So that's nice. That's nice. That's a plus for you. I, I, as immune as I am, I'm taking that as a dig right now. Why would that be a dig? I don't know. It just came across a little shitty. 
Luckily, you're immune from negative comments. I don't know. It just is that sounded, how I sa- is that how I sounded in my ear that when it like passed through the microphone well, into listen, my headphones. Maybe you do have a problem then. <laughs> I was trying to give you a compliment, but I think no, actually, listen, I, I certainly, um, yeah, you're right. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> I, I just doesn't because I don't give a fuck what some asshole says. Yeah. I, sometimes criti- criti- criticisms are leveled, and I'm like, ah, there's some merit to that. Hmm. Sure. In fact, we've got a. We got a voicemail here that we're going to get to. And, and the criticism is valid? Um, no. Fuck no. <laughs> Not I, in the slightest. Well, I thought you were giving an example of when you received criticism and it was valid. No, sometimes I think, I, I mean, all the time I'll think about what some, some, what some, I will think about whatever it is that the person said. Yeah. And if it's something I've thought about, like, oh, maybe that thing in the back of my mind is a little bit valid. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually not, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, like when I first started doing content that wasn't scripted, we're really giving a sausage lesson here, but um, I was saying um a lot or I was doing something and people were like, hey, don't do that. Just jump right in and stop with the black. I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck, I need to work on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I integrated that. Yeah. But sometimes it's just, why do you wave your hand so much? You need to... I tell you what, we'll just play this voicemail. This wasn't even the plan of the show. <laughs> we'll just get straight to the voicemail. Hi. Uh, it's regarding uh, Jesse Dallimore. I just watched your uh, I Doubt It uh, podcast uh, that you linked on your one broadcast. And uh, just wanted to point out that I found your efforts to be the constant clown took a lot took away from the show and from the information that uh your partner there was was making um it's one of my biggest irritations with the right wing media and I would ask you to please tone it down a little bit try to be a little bit more serious mm. uh so that people will take your short show more seriously oh. other than that uh love the content thank you he loves the content. Other than the central like uh, feature of who he deems you to be. <laughs> yeah, other than <laughs> yeah. you fucking constant clown. You piece of shit cl- constant clown. Well, why yeah. are you always clowning it up? Why don't you scale it back a bit? Listen, like I always say, there's a there's a there's a pause button, and after you hit the pause button, you can click unsubscribe and then delete the fucking show and never listen again. I, I would invite you to do that, sir. As much as you appreciate the content, it, it is it's nauseating. Well, it's nause the idea, people. It's it's because that's not helpful. That's not a helpful critique of anything. Uh, listen, a a a a a helpful critique, an earnest critique, a legitimate critique is: Hey, don't be such a fucking prick. Quit interrupting Britney so much. That I on board. That is something I am perpetually working on. Yeah, but. Be less funny. Try to be less funny. Don't bring levity to this fucking hellscape of a goddamn world we're living in right now. Piss straight the fuck off. How about that? So I <laughs> I think that a lot of people don't know that we're people and like we're regular people. Yeah. And sometimes we're going to read the things that they write and... 
I think people just like see and and more so for you because I'm just starting to like show my face on YouTube. So I know you have been doing it for much longer and people will write things about your appearance or about the way that you do things. And I think they're just like firing that off at a screen, not knowing that like a person is on the other side of that. And, And sure, you don't see all of the comments on your YouTube because there's too many and how could you? But you see a lot of them. Sure. And some of those are negative. And I mean, I just feel like people could be more considerate, right? Like, what's the point sometimes of leaving a negative comment about someone's appearance or how you don't like the sound of their voice or, I mean, it just doesn't matter. One of my favorite things, and this is kind of unrelated, and then we'll get to a couple other calls, is when they correct me about a word that I use. Like, you're using the word fulsome. This was one that just happened recently. Listen, I love your show. Appreciate the content. I don't know why I'm doing DJ voice for the caller, for the emailer. But uh, you're using that word wrong. The word fulsome doesn't mean what you think it means. So then I pull out my phone. I'm on my phone. I flip over to my dictionary app. I type in the word. I take a screenshot of the definition, which is the correct way that I'm using it. And I just reply to their email. Mm Mm-hmm. And occasionally, this happens more than you'd think, occasionally they write back and say, oh, hubba dud, didn't know, I'm learning something new every day. (laughs) All you had to do, bro, was look up the definition. Oh my God. Before breaking out your phone and sending someone that you don't know a criticism about something that you don't even know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I remember I was, I was, I'm very intentional about the things that I say and I'm very careful. And if I say something inaccurate on the show you can attest to the fact that I panic over it and I'm like oh my god I gave like the wrong number I gave the wrong estimate I said this and it was wrong you're always waiting for the for the ceiling to cave down in on your head well I wouldn't phrase it like that but I if I say something incorrectly I am very I don't want to be spreading misinformation I want to be giving accurate information to people I take that really really seriously And so when the Joe Rogan clip went on YouTube, I was like, here we go. Like, this is going to expand the audience of people that are going to be exposed to what I'm saying. (laughs) No one gave a shit that I was there. I mean, most people just like didn't comment on anything that I had to say, which was kind of a relief, right? They're all like talking about you, which is great. A lot of appearance talk, though. A lot of body talk and face talk with you. I didn't see that. Didn't someone say you look like like uh Who's the the skater who beat the other chick with the over the knee? I got a Tanya Harding. Tanya comment. Harding, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which uh, that's a real self esteem booster there. <laughs> I mean, I don't think people mean that as a compliment when they say it. Uh, I also got <laughs> what else did I got? Pam from the office. Oh, Listen, yeah. a it's, lot, of, but it is a lot of appearance shit. But and again. It, That is stuff that you have to absolutely take with a grain of salt. I mean, I have been humbled in many ways in public when people have told me what celebrities they think I look like. We've heard 58-year-old Debbie Reynolds, 63-year-old Debbie Reynolds. Do you remember in New Orleans when that guy stopped me and thought I was a soap opera actress and I Googled her and she's like, you know, Margot Robbie level perfect. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, that thank was the you. same week. I'm like, Debbie thank Reynolds. you very much, sir. This is really turning things around for me. So See, why can't people in YouTube comments be as kind as people in real life? Well, 
Maybe we should just broadcast the show to a New Orleans audience. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You just have to remind yourself of that and keep going, guys. It's going to be okay. I don't have to remind myself of that. I know. I know. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, Jesse D. All right. Constant Clown Show. Moving on. Another voicemail. This one about Brittany. Oh. Hey, man. I just want to explain to you the reason why Brittany is best best part. This is B-Rai or Brian. Um, because when she rolls her eyes at you, it's because the rest of the world is rolling her eyes at you. Even though you interrupt her, she doesn't get to explain to you why the rest of the world is rolling her eyes at you. She still has done the rest of us absurd. She levels you out, which makes you better. So, she's the best part that makes you better. And that's why you married her. So, which case? All right. Have a good one. Well, thanks, uh, B-Rye. And there we get some analysis of why our partnership works. And he, by so the that's way, nice. he's not wrong. B-Rye is not wrong. Yeah. That One, I am trying to curb the interrupting. Mm-hmm. That's a, a flaw fucking for sure. But, um... It's just so hard for men to do. You de- it's not a men thing. I interrupt, like, <laughs> interrupting ladies. I interrupt... I'm an interrupter. Even oh. when the, my editor was here this weekend. We flew my editor in from Portland, and you're like, hey, you want to let him fucking finish what he's saying, or...? Well, so what do you think about that? Because I feel like there's going to be people that are listening and are like, okay, wow, Jesse's identifying like a very negative characteristic about himself that he interrupts everybody that he's around. <laughs> it's not constant, but okay. it, certainly there are, you know, in excitable moments. Yeah. I, I get sidetracked in my brain. And if, if, I, if I take a couple beats, it just like it flutters. <laughs> it just flutters right out of my head yeah. and I've lost it. For sure. So getting it on the record quick, and then then we can, you know. Yeah, that's not that's a unique problem that not everyone has to deal with. You're right, Jesse. That's specific to you, and no. you should be able to get your thoughts out is as that, soon as you think. Is of. that what I said? Because you'll risk losing it. I and just said, what would we do God if damn. Jesse D lost his thoughts? Wow. Holy shit! I just said that's prick shit, bro. I just that's said shit. that it's a negative thing that I'm trying to work on. <laughs> but no, I don't get any credit for that. Well, I'm all. trying to be the clown now. I'm trying to steal your role on the show, and I'm trying to clown it up. Am I doing a good job? <laughs> anyway, it was a good time sitting in for David Pakman. I appreciate all of you for the kind comments. Uh, I appreciate all of you for the shitty ones. <laughs> Constant clown here. Anyway, um, uh, let's get to a serious voicemail. Yeah. Um, recently, I would listen. I would advise everybody to go watch John Oliver. And uh, from two weeks ago, he talked about the Sackler family, the family that owned Purdue Pharmaceuticals which developed and sold um, OxyContin. And they are now, the company is now, uh, uh, has been convicted of felonies. There's a bankruptcy settlement. There's too many details to go over in just a short amount of time. But um, I tweeted something about it. And Carissa, longtime listener of the show and giver of this particular drop. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. She called in because she has particular expertise in this area, and I want to talk a little bit about it. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Carissa. Um, I'm currently uh, pulled over for like the 12th time on my drive back from Chicago to Pennsylvania because of this horrifying rainstorm. So I was just reading uh, a 
a tweet you just tweeted, Jesse, about the Sackler family. And here's the here's the whole thing. Not the whole thing. Here's a thing about the opioid crisis. I worked for 22 years in retail pharmacy. At one point, being a store manager, that also oversaw the pharmacy. The pharmacist, the the people at all the pharmacy chains were telling, like the DEA, that like. The opioid, like, this is out of control, out of control, out of control. Well, what did they do? They went after the pharmacies because they're easy. Pharmacists are a lot easier to go after than big old hospitals. And so they would, like, ding the pharmacies and fine us. They did all this shit, and then they went after the doctors, and then they went after the tacklers. Like, this has been going on for a long time. The same thing with the pseudoephedrine or the meth. They use pseudofed to make that. They had been doing that for a good 10 years, like, that we knew about it at the retail level, and we couldn't really do anything about it. We started self-limiting stuff, blah, 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 blah. Basically, the government takes the, the, the path of least resistance, lets everything get a whole lot worse, and then they're like, and then they finally go to, like, people like the Sacklers or the actual source of the problem. So, God bless America, right? All right, love the show, Brittany's best part. Bye. Love the show. So there are certainly um, systemic deficiencies in the way that the government deals with these kinds of problems. Slow to recognize them. Then once they recognize them, slow to react, prosecuting the wrong people, going after the wrong organizations. And now we're in a situation where there's a bankruptcy uh, reorganization situation being done with the, the Purdue Pharmaceuticals and the Sackler family. And it, they're going to be shielded. It looks very likely that they're going to be shielded from any personal liability, both civil and criminal. And that is just an outrage. Tens of thousands of people have died as a direct result of the marketing and sales tactics of Purdue Pharmaceuticals and OxyContin, and they're just going to have to give up a few of their many, many, many billion dollars. They're still going to be left intact financially and billionaires. And there's just, it, it's, not, it's not right. It's not moral. It's not ethical. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Well, one of the most shocking things that John Oliver talked about in that segment was about the Sacklers wanting to use a rare and controversial procedure that's called non-consensual third-party releases in order to protect them and their assets um, from various lawsuits that are linked to, to this. And he talked about how they like established a new business address in a city that they've never conducted business in white Plains, New York, where there just happened to be a judge who has been open to using this procedure because it's very controversial and a lot of people don't believe that it's even something that should be used. And so you have this very wealthy family that can pull all of the strings in order to continue to protect their assets after having um, harmed so many people, killed so many people, and they're trying everything that they can to protect themselves, to protect their assets. Yeah, they are... They are... um... They are guilty. Well, I wish I had the allegedly board here. Uh, oh, I do. That's good. Allegedly, allegedly, they are they are guilty of murder. They are accessories to murder. They they knew the 
the, the drug was dangerous and they continued to push it out onto the street and get um, addicted, tens of thousands of people who if they couldn't get a hold of OxyContin to, to um, maintain their, their addiction, then they turned to hard street drugs, which are often laced with fentanyl, and then they died from overdoses. Anyway. Well, and on that note, so if you have someone in your life who is struggling with opioid use, um, it is good to get trained in using Narcan or Naloxone. It's the same thing. Um, And it is used to reverse in opioid overdose. It rapidly reverses it. And so you're talking about heroin, Oxycontin, uh, Vicodin, morphine, opioids the class of opioids and oftentimes it comes in the frame of a form of a nasal spray you say narcan right that's what it's like narcan or or naloxone okay yeah yeah um and if like i said if you know someone who uses opioids or you have friends family anyone it's something that everyone should carry on them because you can run into someone on the street or you maybe you have a friend or family member who may overdose and you can save somebody's life. So it's important if you have interest in that or you know someone uh, to have it on you, get trained in how to use it. And uh, also Hulu has a new show coming out soon called Dope Sick that looks really really good. That's the one with Michael Keaton. Yeah. This is about the Sacklers. This- yes. That's why it's it's a, a limited series, so it's a, they don't call them mini series anymore. I think it's six episodes mm. or so, and it's going to deal exactly with this and how they marketed and just the bullshit that went into it. I'm glad it's coming out now because hopefully it will influence people's views on this entire bankruptcy fiasco that's happening. Well, it's not going to premiere until October 13th. Yeah, so. maybe not then. Yeah. Anyway, um, we would love your thoughts on all of this. Do you like how I said October? It's because I, I, I was trying to find the date while I was talking. That's good. You can call <laughs> our constant clown hotline, Ooh. 657-464-7609, or you can email the constant clown hotline, uh, a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. So we would like to thank, first, Chad K. Chad K. Chad K more than doubled the pledge by one cent. Oh, is that the the one that was X amount of dollars and one penny? Yes. Yeah, very funny. Yep. <laughs> and So that's what made it more than double. Yep. Hey, more than doubles, more than double. There you go, Chad. I hope you got what you were looking for. Chad K. All right. Now we have our new Patreon supporters, Travis L.S. Travis L.S. Susan H. Susan H. Alex E. Alex E. Douglas P. Douglas P. Julian W. Julian W. Kurt G. Kurt G. Tara J. Tara J. I like your work. I like your work. Jeffrey F. Jeffrey F. And Oleums. Oleums. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. 
Hopefully I got the I like your work one right as well. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's no Yost might. <laughs> uh, there are, there are other ways. Uh, I'm sorry that the the middle of my sentence oh. was interrupted by oh, the, uh, oh, oh. the beginning of yours. Oh, oh. Um, I said that all wrong. Did I'm you? sorry that the... That I that I interrupted the, the 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 beginning of your sentence with the middle of mine. I think it's how it's said. Who fucking knows? Anyway, clown car rolling on. I'm trying to think through. Uh, that there one. are other ways to support the show that don't involve money. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can tell a friend. You can like our posts on 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 Facebook. You can follow us on sh- social media. I doubt it. Podcast at Brittany E Page and at Dollamore. We're also on the Instagram. It's a good, uh, good, good time. We really appreciate the community that is built up around this show. We are humbled uh, on an almost daily basis by your guys' loyalty and uh, support and love of us. So thank you so much. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we are going to briefly talk about Afghanistan. Very briefly. This has been an upsetting thing for you this week. Yeah. I need to get off Twitter sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because Twitter is not an environment where two <laughs> things can be true at the same time. Mm. You, you can be in disagreement with the war and also believe that it is a desperate situation for women, children, and LGBTQ people in Afghanistan. You, you can still hold those two things to be true. You, you can be absolutely opposed to the length of time we spent in Afghanistan and know that the people who assisted us while we were there, to whom we made assurances, should be taken care of. But to say, oh my God, what about women's rights and gay rights and, and, and those people who are going to be uh, oppressed and killed in many cases. What about them? And then all you read just litany of, oh, whatever, you fucking warmonger. I mean, it didn't happen to me because I stayed out of the fray, but it's just maddening. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm bringing to the table here. That's what I want to talk about. Uh, Clarissa Ward, mm. who needs some kind of medal for bravery. Well, she needs to get out of Afghanistan. She is a reporter for CNN, and every single clip of her, I have just been worried sick for her. It, well, she started her reporting on the streets of Kabul, where she had um, a scarf around her neck and her hair was visible, and then it was announced that the president had abandoned Afghanistan and that the Taliban had taken over the palace and officially everyone was trying to rush to the airport to get out. And then her shots were her in a burqa. And as she's walking the streets, she's encountering people that are treating her differently because she's a woman on the street asking her to cover her face. Um, And in fact, in this clip that we're going to play for you, she is walking the streets, just kind of giving viewers a lay of the land now that the Taliban officially is the they have the power. Yeah, they're ruling the they're ruling the land. Mm -hmm. As soon as we leave our compound, it's clear who is now in charge. 
Taliban fighters have flooded the capital. Smiling and victorious, they took this city of six million people in a matter of hours, barely firing a shot. This is a sight I honestly thought I would never see. Scores of Taliban fighters and just behind us, the U.S. Embassy compound. Some carry American weapons. They tell us they're here to maintain law and order. Everything is under control. Everything will be fine, the commander says. Nobody should worry. What's your message to America right now? America already spent enough time in Afghanistan. They need to leave, he tells us. They already lost lots of lives and lots of money. People come up to them to pose for photographs. They're just chanting death to America, but they seem friendly at the same time. It's utterly bizarre. At the presidential palace, the Taliban are now guarding the gate. They say they're here to fill the vacuum left when the government fled. But the welcoming spirit only extends so far, and my presence soon creates tension. They've just told me to stand to the side because I'm a woman. Outside, ordinary Afghans clamor to talk to us, struggling to process the dizzying speed of Kabul's fall. Actually, I feel nothing right now. We want peace. Uh, we are tired of uh, this uh, ongoing war. What does the future look like to you now? You know, uh, I cannot predict even in seconds right now, uh, and I can't predict even minutes right now. Uh, so that's why I don't know what will, uh, uh, what will happen tomorrow and what will happen after. So... Obviously alarming, uh, one, that the intelligence uh, apparatus of the United States just fucking failed, an abject failure. This isn't like something taking place in North Korea where we don't have um, human intelligence on the ground. We've got a network of individuals on the ground in Afghanistan. It's not just satellite imagery that we're trying to interpret. We have human intelligence. To not know that this would be the case is just a failure. I'm not saying we shouldn't be leaving now. I don't know. I think it's probably best that we get out of there right now. But to not have expected this and to, to, is, is just, again, a failure. Because we could have been slowly removing our people over the course of weeks Instead, it's a mad dash where we're trying to buttress the security of the airport, Hamid, uh, Hamid Karzai Airport, and and uh, extract Americans and SIV individuals and other personnel and their families who have assisted the United States, where people are desperate, clinging to planes that are that are flying away and falling from their the, the, their their grip on the plane they lose it and they fall to their death hundreds of feet tragedy and then on twitter which again isn't the real world people are assholes about it malala tweeted something in solidarity for the women in afghanistan and she's being dragged in her comments in replies to her tweet mm-hmm it's just insane blinders on liberals who are so committed to their ideology that they can't see f- 
fucking nuance when it's right in front of their face. Well, and I think Joe Biden's defense right now is that this would have happened regardless, that there's no right time. Is that kind of what he has been saying? A little bit, but he is also uh, saying that there weren't any mistakes, that there that this isn't a mistake that was made, mm-hmm. which very Trumpian to me. Rather than just say, yeah, you know what, maybe maybe we didn't do this exactly the right way. Our intel- intelligence failed us, and therefore the decisions we made were not proper. Now we've got the situation we've got. We're going to have to deal with it as best we can. That, to me, seems like the best way to approach dealing with the aftermath of this. Instead, this is what we get in an interview with ABC. When you look at what's happened over the last week, was it a failure of intelligence, planning, execution, or judgment? Look, I don't think it was a failure. Look, it was a simple choice, George. When the, when the Taliban... Uh, let me back and put it another way. When you had the government of Afghanistan, the leader of that government getting in a plane and taking off and going to another country, when you saw the significant collapse of the, of the uh, Afghan troops we had trained, over, up to 300,000 of them, just leaving their equipment and, and, and taking off, that was, you know, I'm not, this, it, it, that, that's what happened. That's simply what happened. But we've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we have to gain control of this. We have to move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. So you don't think this could have been handled? This actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look. But the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. So I also want to. Not before that sweeper gets you. So I also want to read uh, another part of this interview. Uh, George Stephanopoulos asks, beyond Americans, what do we owe the Afghans who are left behind, particularly Afghan women who are facing the prospect of subjugation again? And Biden said, as many as we can get out, we should. For example, I had a meeting today for a couple hours in the situation room just below here. There are Afghan women outside the gate. I told them, get them on the planes, get them out, get them out, get their families out if you can. But here's the deal, George. The idea that we're able to deal with the rights of women around the world by military force is not rational. Not rational. Look what's happened to the Uyghurs in Western China. Look what's happening in other parts of the world. Look what's happening in... In the Congo. I mean, there are a lot of places where women are being subjugated. The way to deal with that is not with a military invasion. The way to deal with that is putting economic, diplomatic, and national pre-international pressure on them to change their behavior. I don't disagree with that, but that's a that's a sidestepping the question about what we owe these people. And for him to act like it was going to be chaos no matter what is 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 a um, not taking accountability it is a very trump way to deal with it ah it would have been chaos no matter what it didn't have to be chaos 
It did not have to be chaos. They could have started evacuating early before the Taliban had control of Kabul. And this could have been avoided. When the Taliban finally arrived in Kabul, it could have been to no Americans in the embassy. Instead, they are rushing to destroy documents, burning them in the burn room, trying to protect American secrets because they were not prepared. Chaos is one thing. Unpreparedness is another. Anyway. One thing I think that has been strange, and I I definitely feel uneducated and that this is above my pay grade, certainly, but one thing I noticed on Twitter was a lot of the partisanship that came out of Republicans and Democrats, where Republicans are laying all of the blame at Biden's feet for what is happening. And, Ridic- that's ridiculous. And though. Democrats kind of going back to Trump and talking about what Trump did or did not do. And... I mean, this has been uh, 20 years in the making. Yeah. And you need to jump back to like George W. Bush. We had we had seven full years of George W. Bush in Afghanistan, eight full years of Obama, four years of Trump, and now here we are with Biden. And Obama and Trump both promising to end the war That's right. in Afghanistan. So I, I feel like anyone who's trying to make it simple... I'm generally suspicious of that because it seems like a a complicated It is immensely complicated. And this is where I get bothered a lot is the fact that that is why we pay an immense amount of our treasure into the budgets of the CIA and the Defense Department and the Defense Intelligence Agency and the NSA and all of our signal intelligence. They should have been on fucking top of this to not know that the that the Afghan president was going to peace out and that the Afghan army was going to lay down their arms and put on civilian clothes is just a, a f- crazy failure. Gina Haspel needs to go. First and foremost, she needs to go. Well, and it's interesting that the Taliban She's is the CIA director is trying to um, do these interviews and say that like things are going to be different and girls will be able to go to school and um, you have video from Clarissa Ward's team of Taliban fighters trying to hit their camera people and producers with the butt of their gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And telling her to cover her face, won't even look at her to speak to her without her face covered, uh, telling her to move to the side because she's a woman. Uh, really different. They're, and they're progressive now. Well, and I, I just... <laughs> We definitely need to be accepting as many refugees as possible. And, of course, the usual suspects are up to their usual tactics with their racism and saying that we shouldn't be accepting refugees. And do you really want this plane full of people landing in your city? They're making the equation that it is radical Islamic terrorists who are going to be imported into the United States en masse. So all of these families, they're just filled. They're all Al-Qaeda. They're all Taliban who are going to come here and be some kind of a homegrown terrorist network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, according to a poll from YouGov, Americans tend to approve of the troops leaving Afghanistan, but support has dropped 11 points this week. They did polling in April 2021 and August 2021. And in that time, uh, in April 2021, 
56% of United States adults strongly or somewhat approve of troops leaving Afghanistan, and that dropped down to 45% approving. You have 63% of Democrats approving uh, strongly or somewhat approving in August 2021, this month, and you have 29% of Republicans uh, strongly or somewhat approving of troops leaving Afghanistan this yeah. month. I mean, listen, we, it is too long. We do need to get out of there. Uh, I think we've done everything we can to 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 train the Afghan troops and 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 do what we need to do r- relative to that. But it is too long. Uh, Twenty one years. I mean, it's it's too much. It's too long. Um, I'm not complaining about leaving. I'm complaining in the with the manner with which we're doing it. That we're we're leaving people high and dry and blaming the chaos as though it was unavoidable. And it's just not. It's just not. Anyway, I, I would love to know what you guys think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. The other topic du jour that is still just not going away is the conflict about masks, is the conflict about uh, safety measures related to the coronavirus, is the conflict about requirements for vaccines. Fox News has spent a great deal of time since the vaccines were developed and released during the Trump administration in discrediting them. Even the way they talk about it mm-hmm. is uh, this person got COVID even though they were fully vaccinated. They yeah. put a lot of stink on that last part. Yep. Well, this morning on Fox and Friends, ugh, fucking Fox and Friends. The three geniuses are on the couch. Brian, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade. Ainsley Earhart. What about the country? majority? Okay, the so majority. tired of protecting the minority. That's Ainsley, and, Ainsley Earhart. And Steve and Ducey. Steve, not Peter. Not Peter. Steve Ducey. Peter's daddy. Peter's the one in the White House press briefing room. Who's clearly gotten his job because of his skill level and not because his dad is one of the longest time employees of the network. Where's Megan McCain to talk about nepotism? <sighs> I wish I had that clip. <laughs> I'm Megan McCain, co-host of The View. Okay. <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have it. So um, th- we're just going to play this this little back and forth between the three of these idiots and stop and start as we go because it is... I mean, what do you say to, 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 to intro this clip? Well, so they're complaining about the... And everyone keeps calling them vaccine passports in New York City and the policies that are going to exclude unvaccinated people from doing certain activities like going to the gym or um, people's worlds are why, getting a why lot smaller. Why can't I think of other things? Going well, to, flying, going to restaurants, going to concerts. Yeah, I don't think flying is in this yet, but um, eating in restaurants is definitely one of them. Going to concerts. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he talks about plays. But remember, Ducey is sympathetic. I think he may even be a supporter of vaccines. And Brian Kilmeade does not like that. And so they get into it a little bit and you're going to pick up on the tension in the room. Yeah, you'll know who the the the, <laughs> the BDI Brian Kilmeade is when you when we get into this. Anytime soon and given the fact that the Delta variant continues to surge, it looks as if Eight months after you got your second shot, if you got a second shot, they're now suggesting that you get a booster. We're going to probably hear from the president later today saying, I'm going to make available all these shots as soon as the FDA. All three of them? All three companies? No. uh, Well, 
So and, they haven't addressed it, Johnson un, and Johnson. Right. It's uncertain at this point. It's all hinging on the president later today going to talk about how the FDA, it is expected very sh- shortly to give final approval to Pfizer. Mm-hmm. Moderna still hasn't had it. And we don't know exactly uh, the efficacy of the J&J shot. So will you need uh, another J&J shot if that's the one shot you got? We don't know you yet. You know what's interesting? Uh, Greg Abbott, we, he's in our prayers this morning because he announced that he tested positive for COVID yesterday. He has been vaccinated and mm-hmm. still got COVID. There's that little jab. Okay, I'm going to stop it there. Talk about Greg Abbott a little bit. Mm -hmm. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, fully vaccinated, was just at a gap, this large campaign style gathering in a ball banquet room of a hotel room, a hotel, and they've got pictures of it, not a mask in the whole room. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there in his wheelchair. And I don't know if, if virus particles, if like a gravity, if they're all just pouring right down onto him or not, but... It just it's just irresponsible. And he's been, along with uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, very, very, um, I mean. Against mask mandates. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the specifics of some of the Texas listeners will have to call in, but I don't know. And you could look it up, but I don't know if they've gone as far as Texas or as far as Florida to to make it illegal for local municipalities to enforce mask ma- mandates. Um, but they have, they are certainly, he did, he did do a ban on they mask did a ban. mandates. Yeah. yeah. So they're doing the same thing. And, and then he gets COVID he's asymptomatic gets COVID. And then he's on this experimental treatment that Donald Trump was on this monoclonal, um, g- gene treatment mm-hmm. and which is not. It's not a a widespread treatment. So he's getting special treatment because he's the governor, not even symptomatic, has it. It it just, the hypocrisy of all of this is just stark. Well, and one interesting thing to note is that this treatment, Regeneron, is... Regeneron, that's the name of it. Is, um, it was granted emergency use authorization by the FDA. So it doesn't have... FDA approval, like all these people are waiting on for the vaccines, using it as an excuse not to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So you have people like Greg Abbott who are sowing discord, sowing fear in their populations while simultaneously doing everything to protect themselves and ensure that they survive the pandemic. So it makes you wonder what is going on in his head. I mean, it it just must be political calculus that he wants to win over Republicans in Texas and show that he's really strong on these issues, despite the fact that he's getting fully vaccinated. He's getting a uh, treatment that is emergency use authorization, not fully approved by the FDA. Um, It's, it's, it's disgusting. And, but my, my, my freedom. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Let's let the trio on the couch continue. Um, but I think he's doing okay. He's planning on getting the Regeneron. No symptoms, but he said. What's interesting, though, is if you don't get vaccinated and you go to the hospital, most of the time you're going to get Regeneron. But Regeneron are the antibodies. So right. you're basically still getting vaccinated. Cause- All right. I, I realize she's not a science educator. But one, it's not true that most people are getting Regeneron. That's just patently false. It is an experimental treatment that has emergency use authorization only. That's why it was such a big deal that Donald Trump got it when he did, which saved his life. It is not a a widespread treatment right now. They're sticking you with an antibody. 
which is the virus. So, so guess what they're doing uh, in this terribly run city? They are deciding you can't go to plays, you can't go to movies, you can't go to bars, you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to gyms, can't go to anything unless you have your vaccination card, right. which takes a dollar to make uh, a, a knockoff card, or yet there's a different Celsius passes. And the New York City... So Brian Kilmeade, real fan of making fake documents yeah. to come into the country, I bet, right? And just advocating for it. It's just like a dollar to fake one. Yeah, so he w- w- does he care about uh, people creating documents to like get into the country illegally? Is he okay with that then? He seems like he's a big fan. I, I, this is amazing to me that he says that with a straight face. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it really is almost advocating for the practice. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Mayor Bill de Blasio, he's looking out for our interest. I mean, this guy can't get away quick enough. But believe it or not, he's actually running for governor. Listen to him explain to us how he's looking out for us. But the reason I also want to say it's not discrimination. This is about protecting people. In our society, for generations, we've done all sorts of things to protect people. We have driver's licenses. There's so many things we do to protect people. This is a way of protecting people. But for the many, many establishments, they still have a huge number of people they can serve right now who are vaccinated. And we know a lot of people are now going to be encouraged to get vaccinated because of these mandates. It's just the truth. It's going to be the decisive factor for a lot of people. So this is, this is about moving us out of a global crisis. That's what's motivating us. What if you have the antibodies and what if you can't get the vaccination? You have to shelter in place now like, a, like an American in Afghanistan. And if you don't, these people are the worst. These Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so much like being in Afghanistan. Are you kidding me? Yeah, those uh, he's got a lot of sympathy for the the uh, the, the Afghans people right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, because just like you can't go to a Broadway show, right? That's exactly what they're experiencing in Afghanistan. Exactly. He's he's got his finger on the pulse. He knows what's going on. Inspectors, they're going to come blitzing in there. These health inspectors, they're going to find you a thousand dollars for your first offense. Think about what everybody's been forced to do in the hospitality industry: a thousand dollars for your first offense, and it's going to go up to two thousand five hundred after that. Well, he could be right. It could actually force people or convince people to go ahead and get the vaccine so that they so can go into these places. People making well, their own decisions. You shouldn't get the mayor making your medical decisions. Well, I, you know, if you had talked to him, he'd say, he would say it's a public health crisis. He wants to and, talk to him. Well, he's the mayor, you said. Uh, so there are a lot of people out there who want... Palpable tension. Ooh. Well, you just said he's the mayor, dickface. Who wants to listen to him? Go Weren't look- you the one who introduced the clip just a second ago? <laughs> Pretty sure that was you. To feel safe when they go out places. That's why Danny Meyer, who's who runs a chain of the biggest restaurants in New York, and David Burke have both said, we're on board with this. We want our staff... We want our guests so to make feel it, So why didn't he make that decision for himself? You because, mean for his restaurant? Yeah, do for your restaurant. Don't do it to do our restaurant. Well, there is a lady in, in Brooklyn. Right. She's in uh, Bay Ridge. She's the manager of a restaurant there. And she said the city is segregating people. She said this reminds her of the civil rights movement. And uh, she says just replace the words vaccinated and unvaccinated to black and white or Muslim and Catholic or gay or heterosexual. Listen it, to her. Yeah. Now, before we listen to her, this this fine lady who's making a comparison to the civil rights movement. A white lady. 
Ah, spoiler alert. That oh, was the sorry. quiz we oh. were going to give. We oh. did a little, little poll of the audience. Well, you should have started with pop quiz, and then I would have known. Oh, is that the that's the universal language for don't spoil the joke <laughs> I'm telling here? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but seriously, that is it. It's a woman who's going to make all these comparisons. It's like segregation. And it, you, know, you know why I don't hear comparing mask mandates or vaccine mandates to... The struggle for civil rights, for equality, for for voting, for not being abused by police. I don't hear black folks making that argument. I hear uppity fucking white ladies making that argument on Fox News. This, to me, is segregation. We're, we're trampling on civil liberties. We're discriminating against people. You know, the mayor of New York essentially just locked out tourists. They, he's locked out families. He's telling people who have not been vaccinated uh, that they don't belong. They're not allowed to roam freely in society, that they don't count, essentially. I mean, I, I can't believe that we've created two new classes. Look at the sign in the window. It said, we do not discriminate. You're right. And so it's going to go into effect tomorrow, and then they're going to start uh, enforcing it, it, on it on September the 3rd. You know, these people, it's so strange to me. They're not allowed to roam freely in society. <laughs> if you, if someone had Ebola, hmm. would they be allowed to roam freely in society? And if you said, hey, you need to quarantine and, and not be around other people because you could be passing on your deadly disease to somebody else. And if they started screaming about ma, ma, ma liberty, you'd tell them to shut the fuck up and go inside. I realize that COVID-19 is not Ebola, but it is still a deadly disease that has killed over 600,000 Americans inside the span of just a few months. We absolutely, I have a right to go to the local grocery store and not have a disease passed on to me by someone who doesn't fucking care about their neighbors or their family and friends. Well, and they're not even willing to do the bare minimum, which is put a little piece of cloth right. on their face. I mean, they keep talking about how they can't breathe when they wear it. They keep talking about how they don't have any fresh air. I mean, this is getting to the point where I'm I'm just wondering, like, how are these the same people that talk about participation trophies and kids getting weaker? Like, I, yeah. again, I cannot get over the fact that they can't do a very basic thing yeah. and wear a little tiny piece of cloth on their face do that bare minimum but they're against that too it's too hard for them Brittany. 13th uh the exceptions are if you need to go into one of those facilities to use the bathroom or be indoors for a couple of minutes you better get out right away you're gonna get fined or keep in mind too if you look at the stats mostly african-americans in new york city are the ones without who are vaccinated where's al sharpton on that how is that fair now they can't go to theaters they can't go to uh plays they can't go to restaurants they can't go to gyms and you can't take your kids in even if you're vaccinated right. as an adult all right, now Brian Kilmeade really cares about black people's rights. Right, I He's thought... He's a champion of black rights right now. Yeah, what has he been saying about critical race theory? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, where was he last summer in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd? 
Right. Is he is he making a statement here about the inequities in society that put certain populations of people at uh, greater access to things like vaccinations? Is yeah. he is he making a statement here and have poorer health outcomes because of the system? Shut the fuck up. Well, and Brian kill me. And I just want to say as of August 16th. So this is uh, three days behind the CDC reported that the race or ethnicity was known for 58% of people who had received at least one dose of the vaccine. Among this group, nearly two thirds were white, 58%, 10% were black, 17% were Hispanic, 6% were Asian, one were American Indian or Alaska Native, and less than 1% were Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, while 8% reported multiple or other race. CDC data also show that recent vaccinations are reaching larger shares of Hispanic, Asian, and Black populations compared to overall vaccinations. Among vaccines administered in the past 14 days, 26% have gone to Hispanic people, 15% to Black people, and 4% to Asian people. So, Brian Kilmeade's concern, he his concern that he just expressed there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that should make him feel a little bit better that the uh, share of vaccinations recently are reaching a larger, larger share of the population that he cares so much about. I'm sure he's very, very concerned. I'm sure he's relieved. All right. Moving on. So related to conservative compassion and empathy and... Um, a lack thereof. Problem solving in society, they really, they really are passionate about finding the solutions that will work for the people. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, we the people. Yeah. So Laura Ingram uh, had <laughs> <laughs> had someone on her show. He's like a bar rescue guy. Yeah, he's, his name is John Taffer, and he's got one of those those like like um, restaurant rescue. You know, like Gordon Ramsay did something like restaurant yeah. nightmare. Or mm-hmm. I'm gonna yell, fuck you, to everybody. Like kitchen. In the- Kitchen. No, that's anyway. One of those. (laughs) One of those. We don't watch these shows, so. But this guy like goes into a bar and tells them how to unfuck themselves to have a better bar, whatever. So a reality show. I'm sure he's a real, super awesome expert. And so they were looking for a solution to the uh, people who are not going back to work in their view. They believe that unemployment is preventing people from returning to work. And they were really trying to brainstorm, well, how can we fix this problem? I'm not an economic professor. If you get $800 a week unemployment benefits and you live with a partner who also is getting $800 a week unemployment benefits, $1,600 a week, Laura, $83,000 a year for that household in unemployment benefits. The median income in America is only $63,000. We're incentivizing people to stay home. What if we gave that additional unemployment benefits to employers to incentivize people to go to work? Well, what if, what if we just cut off the unemployment? I mean, hunger is a hunger is a pretty powerful thing. I don't mean physical hunger. because People who truly are in need need help. I'm talking about people who can work but refuse to work. But the government is is literally putting anvils in many ways on people's shoulders, either through the mandates, regulations and now through free money, which obviously we're all going to the piper eventually has to be paid. Not sure she knows exactly what the word literally means. We're literally putting anvils on their shoulders, John Taffer. <laughs> uh, John, John, I want to ask you, though, about this, this idea of work-life balance. Because, look, no one wants to miss their kids growing up. No one wants to, you, know, you stay in the office your whole life, you, you, you never see your ch- family. So I, that's really important. 
However, have we taken that a step too far when you think of, well, a lot of the millennials talking about, oh, I need time for self-care. I don't know why I'm harping on that tonight, but the whole self-care movement is a little, I mean, my mother is not with us anymore, but she worked from the time she was 12 during the Depression. If she heard the self-care thing, I think her head would explode. <laughs> you know, I think that's right. Oh, I have a friend in the military who trains military dogs, Laura, and they only feed a military dog at night because a hungry dog is an obedient dog. Well, if we're not causing people to be hungry to work, that, then we're providing them with all the meals they need sitting at home. I'm completely with you, Laura. These benefits make absolutely no sense to us. And on top of the impact of not getting employees and not being able to run our businesses, in my industry, we have meat prices are up 10 percent. Chicken prices are up 15 percent. Inflation is killing. It's killing is going to kill business. I mean, it's going to that's that's the next shoe to drive the Democrats. I am having a really hard time right now. You've got a rage rash right now. um, I do. I get a rage rash on my neck when I get upset. Actually, it it happens any time if I'm like happy or if I'm sad or if I laugh, but also with rage. And right now it's the rage. So Laura Ingram, let me just say, um, mocking self-care, talking about how her mom worked starting at age 12. Yeah. So (laughs) what is it about a person like Laura Ingram who tells that story in a way that's like everyone should start working at 12 rather than my mom started working at 12. I don't want anyone else to have to live a life like that. Yeah, right. And I want them to have more fulfilling lives. I mean, my mom, when my dad left and she had four kids to take care of on her own and she was working day and night and coming home and I I was watching her like cognitive abilities just drain out of her head i mean she yeah, yeah she could hardly keep things together and it took almost everything from her including her mental health and when she didn't have her mental health we didn't have her and if you don't understand what i'm saying i mean that she was in a mental hospital yeah i mean that's where things go when you are in a position where you have no resources and you are clawing to get out of scarcity. And I want to talk about scarcity because for some reason, uh, Laura Ingram and the bar rescue man. What do you mean? The multimillionaire Laura Ingram's a little out of touch, you think? Uh, yeah, <laughs> especially when it comes to the science of scarcity. And there's a really great book on this if you're interested in reading more about it. Scarcity, Why Having Too Little Means So Much, written by a psychologist and a behavioral economist. And basically, they talk about the impact on our cognitive abilities when we are in a state of scarcity, whether it's food, like they were talking about, and creating hunger as a motivation for people, or whether we feel like we don't have enough time, or we don't have enough money, or we're lonely, that that creates a situation where you're very focused on what you don't have, and how little time you have, or how little money you have, or how you don't have enough food. And you almost become consumed by this. And it's not as though like you lose your inherent capacities, it's just that you don't have the full ability to access what capacities are available to you. And so Laura Ingram thinks she's so different from someone who's in poverty. But if she were to lose everything and she were to be on the street and she were to be hungry, she would fall victim to this too. She would be someone who makes bad decisions. Human biology. Because how can you make good decisions when you are trying to survive? 
That's not on your mind. So for them to be sitting there and laughing about this and talking about let's make people hungry to motivate them and this is how you treat dogs in the military. I mean, this is disgusting. And these are the same people, by the way, who will sit there and say, whoa, 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 before we help the Afghans, we need to make sure we take care of the homeless vets. Exactly. Yeah. Look at how they look at how much fucking contempt they have. Yes. For the people like homeless vets. That's contempt. Well, it also rings pretty hollow when Mr. John Taffer LLC had two separate PPP loans totaling $60,858. He took a $32,858 loan in January of 2021 rather than pulling up his bootstraps. Mm. And prior to that, in April of 2020, he took a $28,000 PPP loan, which, by the way, in the loan... It is a forgivable thing that most of this money, the vast majority of this money, isn't going to get paid back. Mm-hmm. So this Mr. These people need to work and they need to be hungry and starving people love to work. He's taking money <laughs> from the government rather than pulling himself up by his bootstraps and doing it on his fucking own. Well, and Jesse, we talk about this often where and and I didn't come from a a family that was well versed in politics but you did and you will often talk about how you were connected to people who had contempt for people on government assistance while yeah. at the same time using government assistance it's almost this idea that the republican party is really good at creating within their party of having the people believe that they're something other than what they are Yeah, based on their proximity to being able to achieve the American dream. Right. So if they fool them all into believing that they can become Jeff Bezos and they're just a few smart, smart choices and smart decisions and a few like save $5 out of your paycheck and soon you'll be Jeff Bezos. Like they can convince them. The Dave Ramsey theory. Yeah. Yeah. Then they start to believe that they're something other than what they are. Well, listen, it, it is a lot like, remember that show that uh, Sarah Silverman had, the I Love You, America? Oh, yeah. On Hulu? Yeah, and she went, it's still on Hulu. Are we promoted by Hulu today? Are we promo- <laughs> We know, keep twice. talking about Hulu. This episode brought to you by Hulu. <laughs> um, and she went to Louisiana, and she met mm. with this family, and they're like, no, I don't, I don't like Obamacare. We can't be having that Obamacare, that American... Uh, yeah. Healthcare Act or, you know, ACA. Yep. No, that's no good. Whoa, well, what, what do you have? And, oh, I'm on disability. Oh, oh, yep, I'm on disability too. Yeah. Oh, I'm on... Blah, blah, blah. All of them were on government healthcare while whining and complaining about the takers, the takers who are on Obamacare. Mm-hmm. It just... It is a weird baked-in thing and it's because they are a low-information audience that does have contempt for others, if they are on government assistance, it's justified. Everybody else is a leech. Well, I even had to have a frank uh, conversation with myself in my head the other day because I had the realization that one time I had told my friends that I, I had never been on food stamps as an adult. And I said it as though it was some sort of achievement. Right. Like based on what I've come from, I've been able to pull this off. And how is that an achievement to have never been on food stamps in your life? Like who gives a shit? It's kind of like those classmates of yours. I'm not going to name names who brag constantly about how I have a degree and blah, blah, blah. And I don't have any student loans. Mm. You know, it's well, your parents 
helped you out tremendously. That's why. It's not. So I, I get what you're saying, that it's like, oh, and I didn't rely. I, I worked. It's, it's almost like a Laura Ingram thing. That it we're is. Kind of, we're kind of programmed right. to, to, to talk and think like that rather than it's okay. Right. And that's why I had a frank conversation with myself. Yeah, yeah, I know. Where I'm like, that's, that's your luck. Yeah. Right. And and I'm such a proponent of talking about luck. But then there was this like vulnerable part of me where because maybe I feel insecure about that part of my history that I want to be able to say, like, I've I've become something different. Right. And it's like, well, that's not all about you, though. Yeah. You know, so and- many, so many different variables. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'd love to know what you think about these and many other issues. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie is no longer with us, so you may be a little confused as to what's happening right now. But we don't always have to do Taking Care of Biz segments that are uh, in the present day. Yeah, they can be from the 80s, you guys. They can. And in fact, they are, because this is an interview <laughs> with David Bowie. And- well, we should preface it how we, how we, we were just talking the other day about, about um, different artists that we didn't really appreciate or we are... We, we came to really appreciate, and this particular interview came up, and it I think we even got, like, teary. We rewatched it, and it's just like, what? This guy's a badass. Well, and let's have you own that, if you want to bring that up. You don't care for David Bowie, which is... Yeah, I, well, let's not say that. I don't care for him. I didn't appreciate the genius of David Bowie as a musician. Okay. Until after he died, and I had several people in my life... Unfuck me. Yeah. They set me straight. Good. Right now, my most um, my most played song on Spotify is a David Bowie song. That's just a fun fact about like me. Humble bragging over I here. I don't know what what's going doing? on. Yeah, God I don't know. Um, no one gives a shit about that either. So um, David Bowie was being, <laughs> was being interviewed by Mark Goodman on MTV. You know Mark Goodman. And this is from 1983, so Mark you, do, you really, don't know Mark Goodman. He really, uh, he, he, he stood the test of time <laughs> yeah. at Mark Goodman. I know Kurt Loder from MTV. Mark Goodman's the guy with like the long Howard Stern-like curly hair. A white dude. So anyway, uh, David Bowie starts to ask Mark Goodman questions in this 1983 interview about MTV's decision to not play videos by black artists. I'd like to ask you something. I'm honestly, you know, all right. um, it, it occurred to me, having watched MTV over the last few months, um, that it's, it, it's, got, it's a solid enterprise with it and it's got a lot going for it. I'm just floored by the fact that there's so, many, so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. We want to play artists that seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play for MTV. There's th- the company is thinking in terms of narrow casting. That's evident. Um, it's evident in the fact that the only few black artists that one does see are on about 2.30 in the morning or, on, or to around 6. Very few are featured predominant, no. predominantly during the day. No. That, uh, that's a f- I'll say that over the last couple of weeks these yeah. things have been changing, but it, it's, no, uh, it's a I, slow process. I know. It's, it's funny. I think people have 
different perceptions when you wind up watching, let's say you watch an hour or two or even three a day, people somehow come away with different ideas about what we are doing. We don't have any kind of day parting for anything, mm. let alone a black artist day parted out of what, what would be, quote, prime time. Mm. We don't have that. Because one sees a lot on the... On the there's a, one black station on uh, television that I keep picking up. I'm not sure which station it's on. But there's a, there seem to be a lot of black artists making very good videos that I'm surprised aren't used on MTV. Well, of course, also we have to try and do what we think not only New York and Los Angeles will appreciate, but also uh, Poughkeepsie or Midwest. Pick some town in the Midwest that will be scared to death by Prince, which we're playing or a string of other black faces That's and black very music. interesting. Isn't that interesting? You know, we have, to, uh, we have to play the music that we think an entire country is going to like, and certainly we're a rock and roll station now. The question would be asked, well, should, uh, since we're in New York, should PLJ play, uh, you know, uh, the Isley Brothers? Well, you and I might say, yeah, because we have grown up in an era when the Isley Brothers mean something to me, and so do the Spinners, even way after the Isley Brothers. But what does it mean to a 17-year-old? Well, if you talk on the phones to these guys like I did when I was in radio, it's Well, scary. I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what maybe the Isley Brothers or Marvin Gaye means to a black 17-year-old. Ah. And surely he's part of America as well. No question. He? No question. And that's why you're seeing those things. Do so you not find that it's a frightening predicament to be in? Yeah, but less so here than in radio. And is it not, well, no, don't say, well, it's not me, it's them. Is it, no, is well, it, not, is it not possible that it's, it's, it should be a conviction of the station and of other radio stations, mm. to be fair? It, it, is, it does seem to be um, uh, rampant through American media. Um, is it, it, should it not be a challenge to try and make the media far more integrated in those in music, happening. especially of anything in musical terms? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I think it's happening because white music and white musicians are now starting to play more than ever what uh more than they have lately let's say in the last 10 years yeah what what black artists have been into mm -hmm. and now hopefully the lines are going to start to to blur and when we play a band like abc yeah well there's there's white and black kids who are enjoying it and all of a sudden well it's it's a little bit easier for a white kid to understand it the fact is quite frankly I could even point you towards a letter in the new issue of The Record, yeah. the magazine The Record, responding to an article by Dave Marsh that this, this kid just ranted about what he didn't want to see on MTV. Well, that's and his problem. And in no uncertain terms, well, what I'm saying, though, is that there's, as you say, there's certainly a lot of black kids and white kids who may want to see black music. Mm. There's a ton of them who are, it's not like it was in 67 where you say, yeah, I'm, I'm not into that, you know, but you are, yeah. Now it's, you're into that? I don't like you. And that's scary, and we, can, we can't just turn around and go, well, look, this is the right way. We can only teach, I think, a little bit at a time. Interesting. Okay, thank you very much. Does that make sense? Valid point? I understand your point of view. Okay. <laughs> not a valid point. <laughs> But a point. Oh, I see what you're saying. A point was made. <laughs> anyway, just what a this is. And listen, this is the early '80s. '83. This is 1983. Not a you know race uh, 
equity and equality wasn't on the tongues of everybody in corporate America. And David Boy, just pretty fucking great. Yeah, I mean, I love how he challenged him and, and kept challenging and him. kept challenging him, and then realized that it wasn't going to go anywhere because he has to defend MTV. He's being recorded by MTV. He works for MTV. He's going to have to defend MTV. But what a bunch of weird stuff that that guy said. I mean, he basically said things are going to start changing because white musicians are starting to play black music. That's effectively what he said. White musicians are starting to play black music. Yeah, you mean like Elvis? Like every successful musician from the 50s? And then he talked about um, the band ABC, which their most prominent hit is The Look of Love. I'm looking at Jesse and you're like, yeah, I don't know ABC, what that is. Well, I know a, a rap. No, I guess they weren't around then. ABC, I'm thinking, was another bad creation, which was under the label of Boys to Men. And they were a a little uh, a, a, a group of, of black young kids. They were like little kids. That's not the ABC. And like a rap group. That's not the, I don't think that's the ABC. It They're must about, not be from 83. Because yeah. he was talking about how that's easier for a white kid to understand is what he said. And that's just wild. I mean, they're talking about Prince. They're talking about the Spinners. They're talking about the Isley Brothers. And this is something that people actually ask me because my parents were virulent white supremacists. And I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's my favorite band. I love 70s R&B and disco. And people will always we ask... We just went to see Cool in the Gang like a month ago. Yeah, people will always ask, like, what, what happened? Like, how did that... <laughs> where did that come from? And it came from my white supremacist parents. They played Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, they yeah, played yeah. Cool in the Gang. They played The Spinners. I mean, all of that stuff. The stylistics. That, Zap and Roger. Zap and Roger. That was the <laughs> stuff that I was raised on. And so... I this is like strange to me to hear this interview where he's defending like having to protect the sensibilities of Midwesterners because they won't like the spinners. <laughs> right, right. Go right. listen to the spinners, please. Do that today after you listen to this. Just go put on the spinners on YouTube and tell me how offensive it is. It is some of the most wholesome, beautiful. I get emotional listening to it because yeah, it's like these yeah. beautiful love songs that like you just wish were on the radio today. Anyway, I'm being annoying, but I. I I love David Bowie. Well, now I know what we're doing after the show. <laughs> we're blasting some spinners. Um, I love David Bowie. This was awesome. Would love to see more people use their positions of power and authority in these moments to do this kind of thing. And the fact that he was doing it in 83 really says something about his character. And so we wanted to give him a shout out and also introduce people to it if they hadn't heard it before. So there we go. Yeah, absolutely. It is, uh, it is definitely a... Uh... Uh, if you ha if you hadn't heard it, it's an amazing moment that definitely needed to be revisited for this unique, um, this unique installment of uh, taking care of biz. And part of it is also it was hard to find positive news stories to talk about this week. Yeah, things are a little bleak sometimes. <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. We're going to end it now. We'd love to hear from you. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine is our voicemail line. And you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.